You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. And this time of year always amplifies several passages from the Passion Liturgy uh, that are important for Jesus followers who care about justice to interpret in life-giving ways. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 415. Our title this week is A Different Vision for Memorializing the Last Supper, and our reading is from the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke 22, 14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So, next week is Holy Week, leading up to Easter for many in Western Christianity. And this time of year always amplifies several passages from the Passion Liturgy uh, that are important for Jesus followers who care about justice to interpret in life-giving ways. So, it was difficult for me to, to settle on which passage to write about this week. But I chose uh, 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 this passage here from Luke. I, I love the story of Jesus' protest and demonstration in the temple courtyard against the economic exploitation that was uh, taking place there. Uh, I, I believe his protest and his burden uh, for those being harmed by systemic injustice, uh, both of those ha- have much to teach us. I love the story of Jesus humbly washing his disciples' feet, which Christians now celebrate each year on Monday, Thursday. Uh, and I also believe it's important to interpret the Holy Week narrative itself beyond death and dying, even though at the end of the week Jesus is the victim of state violence in response to his protest or, or his calls for change and, and growing popularity with the exploited masses in his society. But it's it's more life-giving to interpret Holy Week as a story, I think, of how life overturns death and, and death dealing and how everything accomplished through the execution or the death of Jesus, how that was undone and reversed and, and overcome through the resurrection. The, the, the cross was not, in this interpretive lens, uh, Jesus' saving act, but the state's attempt at, at interrupting and halting Jesus' life-saving ministry. And the resurrection then reverses and, and undoes. Uh, the state's violence and Jesus's life-saving ministry then lives on in the actions of his followers. So there was a lot to choose from in the passion liturgies, in the passion stories. But again, I've chosen uh, to focus on on this this year uh, on, on the Last Supper. So as we begin this Holy Week, I, I, I've chosen again to address Luke's version of Jesus's last shared meal with his disciples, and I'll begin with an important point 
Right, from Dolores Williams's womanist theology classic book, uh, Sisters in the Wilderness. On page 131, Williams reminds us that the cross is a reminder of how humans have tried throughout history to destroy visions of writing relationships that involve the transformation of tradition and transformation of social relations and arrangements sanctioned by the status quo. She then goes on to point her readers to uh, the resurrection and the kingdom of God theme in Jesus's life ministry as the salvific conduit that that teaches humankind how to, in her words, live peacefully, productively, and abundantly in relationship. She lists Jesus's beatitudes, uh, the parables, uh, moral direction, and, and and even Jesus's reprimands. And she reminds us of of Jesus's healing ministry too, of of touch and being touched, and how Jesus's ministry was was militant. In the sense that it was expelling evil forces that harm people, including his actions during his temple protest. So this is how she characterizes Jesus's saving life. It was a life grounded in the power of faith and the work of healing and in compassion and love. And she demonstrates with multiple examples how Jesus conquered sin in life not in his death. And considering the persistence of evil and oppression and sin, still centuries after the life of Jesus in our world, she wonders whether or not most people can even believe that Jesus's death on the cross overcame evil and sin. And I agree with her assessment that it seems, and this is from one page, from page 131, it seems more intelligent and more scriptural to understand that redemption had to do with God through Jesus, giving humankind new vision to see the resources for positive, abundant, relational life. So her focus, again, is is on the kingdom of God theme and Jesus's ministry as salvific and the resurrection, too. That the, Those are, are what give us a, a vision toward salvation rather than uh, some substitutionary or, or otherwise interpretation of salvation interpretation of Jesus's death. And a major theme in Williams's work is the surrogacy of black women and how various atonement theories and ways of interpreting the cross substitutionally have historically supported that surrogacy rather than subverted it. She concludes on page 132, Humankind is then redeemed through Jesus's ministerial vision of life and not through his death. There is nothing divine in the blood of the cross. God does not intend a black woman's surrogacy experience. Neither can Christian faith affirm such an idea. Jesus did not come to be a surrogate. Jesus came for life to show humans a perfect vision of ministerial relation that humans had very little knowledge of. As Christians, Black women cannot forget the cross, but neither can they glorify it. To do so is to glorify suffering and to render their exploitation sacred. To do so is to glorify the sin of defilement. And this leads me to the tension in this week's passage. Jesus's last meal in the Gospels, it seems to lead Jesus' followers to do just that, to glorify the cross through the rite of the Eucharist and, and by glorifying the suffering of the exploited, uh, rendering their suffering and exploitation sacred. But, but as with everything in our sacred text, it all depends on how we choose to interpret the story. The early Jesus community 
was not monolithic in how they remembered and interpreted Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And this, I think, is important. Paul transformed the Last Supper into a ritual reenactment of Jesus' broken body and shed blood in 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. But there were many Jesus followers who didn't connect the Last Supper with the passion of Jesus at all. So much so that the first Christian document to explicitly instruct Jesus' followers on how to celebrate the Last Supper, it doesn't even mention uh, the passion of Jesus. And this document is the Didache. To the best of our knowledge, it was composed at the end of the first century or the beginning of the second century. And in it, uh, we read, I'm going to read for uh, the, the, here the, the, the section that, that instructs early Jesus followers on how to conduct the, the Eucharist. Uh, it reads, concerning Eucharist, this is how you are to conduct it. First, concerning the cup. We thank you, our Father, for the sacred vine of David, your child, whom you made known to us through Jesus, your child. To you be glory forever. Then concerning the fragments of bread, we thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge that you made known to us through Jesus, your child. To you be glory forever. Just as this loaf was scattered upon the mountains, but was gathered into unity, so your church should be gathered from the ends of the earth into your domain. Yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. No one is to eat or drink from your Eucharist except those baptized in the name of the Lord. Recall what the Lord said about this. Don't throw what is sacred to dogs. And that's the Didache uh, 9, chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 5. So this, this tradition... It has led quite a few modern Christians then to reinterpret how they memorialize Jesus' Last Supper, especially at this time of year when our attention is drawn to it once again. Notice in the Didache, there is nothing penal or substitutionary or glorifying Jesus' death in in any of that. And and many Christians today, given what we just read in the Didache, they see Jesus' Last Supper as the same kind of meal that he frequently ate with his disciples and with anyone else who desired to eat with them. Jesus' open table practice in a culture where whom one ate with had social and political meaning was another example of the inclusiveness that he practiced every day. And most scholars today believe that the earliest ritual rituals around Jesus' Last Supper, they took the form that we see actually in the Didache, not from what we read in Paul. The, the Supper was later attached to, to Jesus' death, as we read in Paul, uh, but, but in 1 Corinthians. But a connection um, uh, is repeated, that Pauline connection, that Pauline way of interpreting it, is then picked up by Mark and by Matthew and in our passage in Luke. But even in John, John's Gospel, Jesus' Last Supper isn't there associated with the imagery of his death or the passion, but rather with images of his life. And, and whereas Mark and Matthew, again, they follow Paul's Eucharist order of, of first the bread, then the cup, it's interesting that in our passage this week from Luke, we see signs of early Jesus followers memorializing his Last Supper both ways. We see both the form found in the Didache and the form 
form that's found in Paul blended together, and this would make sense of Luke's gospel, how it repeatedly attempts to tell the Jesus story in a way that provided kind of a big tent view of what it means to follow Jesus. Luke is telling a narrative so that it can be valued by the largest number of Jesus followers at that time, both those who who celebrated the Eucharist according to the Didache and those who celebrated it according to Paul. Luke is telling a narrative uh, so that it can, again, um, be embraced by the largest number of folks. And regardless of which Jesus community a reader belonged to, they could nonetheless find what they believed to be meaningful and, and sacred in Luke's version of the Jesus story. So let's take a look at this passage in Luke once again. First, there's the form found in the Didache. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink from it again, uh, from the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. So there you have um, the cup, then the bread. And then the form found in Paul, and I want to read Paul's again so that you can can see it here. In Paul's writings in Corinthians, it says, And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And because Luke is trying to include both forms, Luke's version of the Last Supper is the only version in the in the canon to include two cups. You have the Didache's order, which is the cup, then the bread, and then you have Paul's order, which is the bread, and then after the supper, the cup. And Luke, which blends both ways of memorializing Jesus' last supper, we end up with a, a cup, which is the Didache, then the bread next, which is in the Didache, but then using that bread, we pick up the version of Paul, and then the cup again, which is Paul's version. Matthew and Mark, they repeat, again, the form found in Paul, and thus they have only one cup. It's bread, then, then cup, and I'm hoping this is making sense. Basically, in Luke, you have two cups. You have the cup, the bread, then the cup. And the first two are are the Didache's order. The last two are the Pauline order. So, so why all this nerding out over the story detailed differences in the Gospels, Paul and the Didache? Well, what's the point of all of this? Well, the point is that there's no one right way to celebrate or memorialize Jesus's Last Supper. If you, like me, have come to find more life in a story that isn't about someone dying, but about how life and love overcame and reversed everything the state attempted by executing Jesus on how love and life overcame death and fear and bigotry and hate, then you also have options in how you remember Jesus's Last Supper. You don't have to remember Jesus's Last Supper in a way that glorifies death, even if it's Jesus's death. We don't have to perpetuate the harms that are pointed out so well by Williams above and others. Jesus most certainly broke 
bread and shared cups with people from all social and economic locations. And those at the center uh, ate with him and those on the margins ate with him. The egalitarian inclusivity that he demonstrated with his meal practice of sharing resources, specifically food, was at the heart of the vision that Jesus had for human community. And it also can become a ritual for us when we interpret it as such, that transforms and shapes us into people who share resources with one another in our own ways and context today. So how how we celebrate rituals, remember, it determines the kind of humans those rituals shape us into being. And I like the shared table way of remembering Jesus's Last Supper uh, uh, that we find in the Didache, that we find in Luke. It's a a way of remembering a Jesus who, realizing what was coming, chose to share one last open table with his disciples one last time. Time. And ritualizing this reminds me again of the kind of world I want to be creating every day. It's a world where our bread and wine are not hoarded, but shared with each other. A world where we are all connected. A world where no one is fully thriving until we are all thriving. Heart group application number one, share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, does this way of interpreting Jesus's last supper change the way you engage the Eucharist? And if so, how? Share that with your group. And then number three, what can you do, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today right where you are keep living in love choosing compassion taking action and working toward justice i love each of you dearly i'll see you next week 